just say welcome. I know we got some, some people visiting with us, and if you're in the room or you're online, it's an honor to, to have you here with us. Um, I don't take it lightly that you've chosen to come hang out with us, and uh, it means a, means a lot to me. Again, I want to kind of go back over what Melanie said. Hey, give us the note cards. Give us the things that we can be praying with you about. I promise you, every one of those things will be prayed over. Um, I'm excited to start the seven-day with you, and um, we'll, we'll be here all week to so find the time. And then this morning, I want to take just a special, special second. I don't I think they're watching, but I'm not 100% sure, and give a special shout-out to Miss Ruthie. Uh, Miss Ruthie is one of our little ones, and she was in an accident this week and been in the hospital this week, and, but praise God, she's doing better. Last, last I heard is maybe um, early next week she'll be able to get out. But uh, she's a little miracle, and God took care of her. And so, um, Ruthie, we love you. Jody and Keith, we guys, I hope you're watching this morning. They're in Augusta at the Children's Hospital, and uh, we love you guys, and we're believing for a supernatural testimony for Miss Ruthie. Amen? Amen. All right, we're going to jump into part two of our series, Holy Bible, the Holy Bible. I told you last week that um, the word uh, Bible in the Greek... Um, we take it to mean our book, the Bible, but it just actually means a book. What makes the book special is the fact that it's holy, it's, it's set apart, it's the holy Bible, it's God's inerrant word, it's infallible. It is what, what we should consider truth with a capital T. It doesn't change, it doesn't uh, go from day to day it's different, or from culture to culture it's different. It is the same. See, the Bible should not be just special to us. We should understand that it's life-giving. The Bible says in the book of Acts, to, talking about Moses when he received the Ten Commandments, it says, Moses received the life-giving words that were passed on to us. It's not just something, a, a book of good quotes. The Bible says it's something that um, actually is alive in our, in our lives. But it also should be close to something we hold close and dear to our hearts. We should we should love it. We talked about last week. We should love it. We should learn it. We should live it out. But the Bible is known in the world. Did you know this? The Bible is the most read book in the world. It's the most translated book in the world. There's the most copies of it existent in the world. Even those books sold, it is the most sold by far. And that currently, I looked this up on a Bible Society thing this week, currently every year there are about 80 million copies of the Bible printed every year. 80 million a year. That's, I mean, in the world, that's status. But the Bible, again, to us should hold more than just that status. It should be special. It should be more than a family collection. My father has a book with his initials on it, which he got from my great-grandmother, which, as far as I understand, came from like her great-great-grandfather. So way back on my dad's side, um, one of the original King James Bibles. Like the, it's, it's written in old, old hand script. You really can't even read it. But it's, I mean, it's something that I look forward to one day to inheriting. It's, it's dear to me, but the words should be more special than that. I asked you last week, to what I said a second ago, to love it, to, to live it, and to learn it. But I also asked you a question. To, or I asked you to ask a question. Once you do all that, 
we ask this question, God, what are you saying to me? Okay, I read your word. It's supposed to be alive in me. What, is, what are you trying to give me for today? What's my guidance for today? But today I'm going to give you a very practical, practical message. Um, this is way more teachy than I ever really do. So if you're visiting with us, um, well, I don't normally conduct class, but today I'm going to give you a basic theology Bible class intro to understanding the Bible and how you can understand the Bible. Because the Bible says in Colossians, Paul writes this, that let the message or let the word about Christ and all of its aliveness, let it do something. I want you to say these last three words with me. Let it fill your Say it again. Let it fill your The Bible says you're supposed to be full. A lot of you are full of it, but it's not the right thing. You're supposed to be full of the word of God. It's supposed to be... The Bible actually says it should be running over out of us. So when we talk, it's, it's what's coming out of us. A lot of us have filled up on a lot of stuff, and it ends in it, but it don't start with the right letters. Some of y'all will sail right on through that, and you'll get it later. Um, <laughs> the Bible says that we're, supposed to be, we're supposed to be full of this, and you have to let it in. You have to let it in. Let me tell you this. Because a lot of people will tell me this. I ask, well, when do you read your Bible? Oh, I read it on the screen behind you. Listen, I know my messages are dynamic, life-changing, earth-shattering. What are you laughing about? (laughs) Earth-shattering, never the same again. And thank you for that. But the verses we put on the screen behind me are not enough to fill anything. It's just like that little taste of, like, when... You know, there's something good you want to eat and your wife or your mom or somebody's cooking something in the kitchen and you go in and you just get a little taste. And it does what? Does it quench your hunger? It just makes you what? Makes you want more. That's what the Bible, we should be wanting more. We should be filling up with it. So I'm going to give you a starting point today so that you can fill your life. For those of you who've been saved for a while and you've been reading your Bible for a while, don't tune me out. You may learn something today. But I'm purposely taking us all back to like Bible 101 from the very beginning of how you do this today. So let me give you a place to start because I get this question a lot. I want to read my Bible, but I don't know where to start. I mean, do I just flip open my Bible and put my finger down and read that verse? You could. But if you know more about how the Bible is laid out, why it's laid out, and how to get started. So let me give you this first, and then we'll get into that. Here's the first thing you can do. Find you a translation you like. Find a translation you like. If you don't know, the Bible had to be translated for us. The Bible was written not in English. The Bible was written the Old Testament in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek. So it had to be translated for us. It had to be brought to us. And the devil actually uses that to perpetuate this lie that you can't trust the Bible because, and if you ever hear anybody say this, you can shoot them down. They say, well, the Bible's not accurate because you know it went from translation to translation to translation to translation. Like they started with one. It's like you ever play that game, I don't know, some people call it telephone or something, where you you whisper a message to somebody and it goes around the circle. And by the time it gets back, what's happened to the message? Like it's just completely wrong. 
And a lot of people use that same argument to say, well, you can't trust the Bible. It's not right. It's not culturally appropriate because it's just been changed all these years. Well, that's not right because the, the lie is that it's been diluted. But all of the translations all came from the original text. Why? Because we have them. They have all the original text in the Greek and the Hebrew, the Dead Sea Scrolls. They have everything that we read. They have in the original language. I want to talk to you about, we'll do it next week, about why you can trust the Bible. You know, the Bible is in over 3,000, I think it's like 3,380-something languages. So almost half of the 7,000 known languages in the world have some translation of a Bible in their language. And then people ask me, well, what's up with so many translations? I don't know where to start. There's all these, all these acronyms and letters that I don't understand. And let me say this before I give you these. You do need to use wisdom. There are translations that do, that even modern good translation that people have taken and added their theology to, to, to push an agenda. They have an agenda, whether it be to, some Bibles actually are trying to take the Holy Spirit out. Some Bibles are trying to, one version is trying to take the blood out. One version, which I don't get, goes gender neutral. There's no he or she in the Bible. And it just, it makes no sense. No matter what your political thoughts are in the Bible, it makes no sense. So let me explain to you what the, what the different versions are. First you have what's called, and these are big words, but a formal equivalency. This is essentially a word for word. A Greek to English, a Hebrew to English, word for word. And when it, the problem is, is that there are some words in the Greek and the Hebrew we don't have. These versions are the, the King James Version, the New King James Version, which basically takes the King James Version and takes out the the thou and whithersoever and all these words that we don't use today. And then you have the next ver- The next type is called a functional equivalency. This is what most of us do read. Instead of word to word, this, the way they would translate this is thought for thought. Again, there's parts of the, in the Greek or Hebrew that don't make sense in English because the Greek or Hebrew may have ten words for, for one word. We have the word love. Well, the Bible has a bunch of words for love in the Greek and Hebrew. These are the New Living Translation, which is mainly what I read, the Good News Translation, um, and the, the one I wanted to draw your attention to is the NIV at the end. Now, there are some... The NIV is the one that people use, and they try to change it, and they have an agenda. So if you look for it, just look, a standard NIV Bible. Um, and this is what I actually teach people. This is what you should be reading daily. This is what you can study. And then if you want to read something that maybe makes it a little broader, there's, there's another version called the paraphrase. It's not a translation. So what they did is actually take the English Bible that was done thought to thought, and then basically throw color on it to put it in today's language. Both of these Bibles, the, um, the Living Bible and the Message Bible, were basically written to be easy understood. The Living Bible was written by a guy who wanted his family to be able to read the Bible and uh, read it in their own, in their own modern culture, langu- English language. So I want to show you a difference real quick. Here's what the difference is in. We're going to look at the same verse and three different versions. The first one is in 1 Corinthians 13.4. This is the love chapter. 
And the King James Version says, Charity suffereth. And is long, and charity is long, and envy, and they add to everything. I don't know why the British did do that. But charity vaunteth. I don't even know what vaunteth means. It's, I don't, I have to look that one up. Not itself, and it's not puffed up. So that's the word-for-word equivalent from the original text. Now look at the NIV, the functional equivalent. This is the thought-for-thought. Now we begin to understand it. Love is patient. I got that. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not, it's not proud. That word love in the, in, the, uh, in the Greek is the word of what we would say. Our love, this version is agape. Well, it doesn't. And when they used it in the New King James, or in the King James Version, they had to do a word for word. And the cultural word at the time that meant what we say when we say, I have love for you, their, their translation was charity. That's why the word for word doesn't translate real well. But then you have this color version that adds it and makes it. So um, in the Message Bible, if you look at 1 Corinthians uh, 4, this is actually verse 4 in the Message Bible, it said love never gives up. Love cares for more than others. And it begins to put it into context that we can understand. Love, love doesn't have a swelled head. Love's not big-headed. And it begins to, to tell us and things that we can understand. I don't recommend, if, you, if you're one that wants to get deep and study, the paraphrase version is not one you do that with because it, it, it is, it's an understanding. I like to call them understanding Bibles. As you can read and it can kind of, oh, that's what that means. And then you compare it back and forth. So those are, your, those are your versions. So you need to get a translation that you like. The second thing I recommend is get a study Bible. There are lots of them out there. I'm only going to recommend two. And one is the Spirit-Filled Life Bible. And it comes, I think, in the uh, New King James, the New... And what it is, it's, it's a version of the Bible, and it's got all the little nuggets in it. And I see some of you writing. If you're looking to write all this down, if you go to version, our live notes, all of this is in the live notes um, written there for you, so you can take it right to your phone. But all, this, all these uh, study Bibles are, it's just it's people giving you advice on how to apply this. Well, love is this. Well, how do I apply this to my life? And the Spirit-Filled Life Bible and the Life Application Bible are good ones for you to, uh, to learn as you read. So you need to get a translation, get a study Bible, and the third one may be, um, may be a surprise to you. And the third one is join a grow group. But why would I join a grow group to get to know my Bible more, to get to love my Bible more? Because it helps you talk about it. It helps you hear other people say, well, I read this verse and this is what it's done in my life or this is what I feel about God's leading me and it came through this verse. Because you need to hear it, you need to read it, and you need to talk about it. You need to have people in your life that you can talk to and begin to say, well, I don't understand this verse. This verse troubles me because it's okay if you don't understand there are groups we have over everything. We even have a group, I think it meets in here on Wednesday nights, and these are the special people. They're the smart ones because they, they rehash my messages every week. Some of y'all do other Bible studies, and that's great, but the smart ones come in here and do my message. I'm just kidding. They, they really, I'm sure they make it better. But that's, so they come in and take our notes, and, and they rehash and talk about whatever the topic was for that Sunday. 
Other groups are doing Bible studies where they, they get in and, and maybe read a verse about you know, whatever it is, giving or love or, or in marriage or whatever it is, and they begin to talk about it. You need to be able to do that, to build relationship with people. Because here's what happened. I said this yesterday you be, or last week. You begin to build relationship with people. It's kind of the same way to me with the Bible. That as you begin to read it and talk about it, you begin to become familiar with it. It becomes something that is closer to you. It becomes something in our lives that's a little... I keep cutting out right there. It's something in our life that's a little more responsive. That responsive, I mean that you're in life and the situation rises up. And instead of all the other stuff you used to think, a Bible verse rises up. Your kids wake up sick. And instead of, oh God, I got to call the doctor. Oh, oh, and you just, you panic and fret that it rises up within you first. No, I read in my Bible where it says that Jesus died for my sin and my sickness. And my house can be healthy and whole and complete. And my child, you know, it rises up within you because you're familiar with it. So those are the things I want you to start with. Get a translation, get a study Bible, and join a group. If you can do those three things, I promise you in 2023, your, your connection, your understanding of the Bible will increase exponentially. Now, here's what I'm going to do for the next 15 minutes. I'm going to give you a 15-minute class on understanding the Bible. Bible 101. I'll give you some things that you can understand where it came from, how it, how it came to be. But I'm going to squeeze it in, and next week we're going to talk more about why you can trust the Bible. Here's some things you need to know. You know, the Bible was written over, over a span of about 1,600 years. It was written in a dozen different countries on three continents and penned by, and I put 40, penned by 40 different but it's actually maybe a more because there's a couple books they really aren't sure who actually wrote it. So they don't know if it's, and they think it, most people will tell you it's 40 because there are two books written. Two people in the, that wrote, that penned it, wrote four books. So they really wouldn't add any to the number. The Bible was written by people across all professions. Poets, prophets, farmers, kings, soldiers, shepherds, princes, priests, Historian, fishermen, tax collectors, scholars, businessmen, and even Luke. The Bible tells us Luke was a doctor. Listen where it was written. It was written in caves and ships and kingly palaces. Paul wrote most of the New Testament chained between two guards in a prison. It was written in the most desolate deserts in the world, if you could think about the Middle East. And here's the amazing thing. They're all telling the same story. The Bible, the Bible confirms itself internally over and over and over. But while the Bible may have had 40 people pin it, the Bible only had one author. That's a distinction you need to understand. It's not a distinction without a difference. It's a major difference. The Bible had only one author. The Bible tells us, God tells us that he spoke to the people who, they were basically the Bible Times HP printers. And they wrote what God told them. 
Now, if you read in, in parts of the Bible, what I'm going to give you in a minute, you can tell, you can, be, you can begin to see the writer's flavor. But it's an amazing thing to me that the Bible has something for every part of your life. It's not just that somebody told me the other day, well, I read the Bible because it's, it's kind of a collection of good, good ideas. Well, no, the, if, you, if you look up like at the patent office where people are patenting new ideas, that's a list of good ideas. This is not just a collection of, of moral guidelines, although it can be used for that. The Bible says it's alive. It's not just principles to live by. It should be affecting, breathing into our lives. Second Timothy says this. I didn't give this to you on your scripture, but it should be in your notes. It says, all scripture is God-breathed, is used for teaching, rebuking, training, righteousness. And it does it so that all of us can be thoroughly equipped to do what God's asked us to do. So it can teach you in every section. Now, when we read it, the, the trouble comes in that the Bible's not laid out chronologically. It's not like in most books you read a story and you may have a flashback that comes back forward, but the Bible's not laid out in books as it happened. The Bible is laid out 66 books grouped in types. And I want to give you a picture so you can kind of, because I've had people tell me a lot, hey, I look at the Old Testament, but I don't get it because you have Genesis and then I read in Psalms and then I see another thing that I read in Deuteronomy and then I read it in Isaiah and they're all kind of, I see the same thing. Well, that's because the Bible is confirming itself. And it's in the confirmation was written by different people about the same thing. But it's, it's typed in groups. And you may not know this. This may be news to, to some of you. And if it, this, I think, will help you. But here are the groupings. First, you have the law books, which there's five of. That's Genesis through Deuteronomy. This is the, I think what we would call, the, the, or the Jewish people would call it the, the first part, of the first five books of the Torah, which is the Pentateuch, right? I'm looking at my scholar down here. Um, we would, you could say, you hear, hear the term the Pentateuch. Penta is five, and this is the first five books of the Bible. Next, you have the history books. The history books, there's 12 of them. This is Joshua through Esther. This is the history of God's people, the history of the Israelites. Then you have the poetry books. Oh, there's five of them. Job through Song of Solomon. So that's including Psalm and Proverbs. These are, these are poets, and I think there's three authors in that, um, that group of five. Then you have um, prophecy books, and here's where people tend to get lost. There's 17 prophecy books, but they divide them up into what's called major and minor. So you have five major prophets, Isaiah through Daniel, 12 minor prophets, Hosea through Malachi, or Malachi as some of these Southerners like to try to pronounce. Um, but these are not major, minor, as in one's more important than the other, or one guy's smarter than the other. They are grouped this way because of how long they are. The five major prophets are long books. If you, for example, if you read through the book of Isaiah, and you, hear, you see a lot of, uh, even what we, you may, Christmas carols and Christmas messages. It talks about the Savior and the Messiah to come. All of that was prophesied by Isaiah some 700, I think, years or 1,000 years before Jesus ever showed up. And so these are the major and the minor prophets. Um, don't be afraid of these. They're not 
Some of it doesn't make sense. Some of it, it, you know, you have to process, but you can't be afraid of this. Then you have this time what the Bible calls the silent years. There's 400 years in, of where God didn't speak. In other words, God didn't give anybody. He finished the Old Testament, what we know as the Old Testament, and he didn't start the New Testament get, giving it to the people who wrote it until uh, 400 years later. If you're a history buff and care what, where this is in history, it's about the time of Alexander the Great and the, when the Roman conquests were happening in history. Then we come into what we know. Then you get into what's called, what we call the Gospels. These are four books. Most of us, you learn them when you're, you know, you're little. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what we, what we don't really understand is that these are not four different sets of stories. This is the equivalent of me picking four of you and asking you today, hey, write what, what I say today. Or write what happens today. Well, all four of you are going to write generally the same thing, but it's going to have different flavor to it. I'm not going to get into it, but some of the study Bibles will tell you that you can read. If you want a, 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 story, a part of the story of Jesus and you want it succinct and you want it just quick and easy, most, you go to the book of Mark. Mark told you like it was. You go to the book of Luke. Luke was the one they thought was a doctor, so... He's all wordy and you can't read his handwriting. It's, it's, it's long and he, he adds a lot of detail to it because he was, he was a, a physician. So you go from the Gospels and you go into the book of Acts. This is the historical record of the church, what you see today. It starts with, with the birth of the modern church. It's what I tell people that this is where the hope of the world comes through. Because God set his kingdom up to operate within churches, within these families. And that's how the gospel was going to go out. It's the church that's supposed to be doing something. It's all of us that are supposed to be reaching Screven County and, and talking about how good God is. So it's a, it's a record of the historical first church. Then you get into what's called the epistles. There's 21 of these. So it goes from Romans all the way to Jude. These are most of these, a huge chunk of these were written by Paul. And these are the stories of churches being, that have been planted. Paul was an apostle. Apostle just basically means overseer. And what he would do is write letters to the churches. Hey, you're doing a good job in this. You need to improve on this. Or a story got back to me about this. That was not right. You need to do it this way. You need to make these changes. There were local churches. It's how God's, again, how God's kingdom is set up and the hope of the world. This is where we get, this is where for most of us, if, if you get our doctrine, our way of living, if you're looking in the Bible for how do I live in this context or in, the, in this area of my life, most of the time you end up, in the New Testament, you end up in the epistles. Then there's the last one, and it should be the obvious one if you know the Bible at all, is the Revelation. The Bible says that the revelation was given to John. He was taken to the Isle of Patmos, and he begins to write. He says, hey, I'm going to show you all this cool stuff. You just write what I tell you to write, and you write what I tell you or what you, what you see. This is the prophecy of the last days of eternity. It tells the story of, of Jesus coming back for, 
those, who, those Christians who have died before he came back and then coming back to get, if Jesus were to come back now, the Bible says that those whose names are, who, who, who know Jesus and names written in the, in the book of life, that we're out of here. Now you can get into the argument. People take the book of Revelation and get in, they go, when we go and how we go. I just know this, is God said he's coming and I'm going. How it all shakes out is irrelevant to me. Now, if you like to study, I'm not saying it's irrelevant because you can't study it, but don't get lost in it. I know, I know several people who I went into seminary with, and they, they came, come into seminary just full of faith, and I can't wait for God to, to uh, send Jesus, and we're going to spend eternity with him, and they come out of seminary like, I don't even know that Jesus really loves us anymore, and I don't even know that Jesus, he's going to like torture all of us for years, and then he's going to come back. If you're curious and you want to know my opinion, in, my opinion in, in short and very short is this. We're not going through the whole tribulation. The Bible says that Jesus died and took all the curse off of us. Why would he put it back on us? So I truly believe that when, when God says to Jesus, hey, go get him, it's going to be well before the world goes to pot. Now, can it get worse before we go? Certainly, because I don't think we know what bad is. Now, where are we in that process? The Bible says if anybody tells you that this is when it's going to happen, they're a liar. But it does say you can't know the seasons. If we're not close, we're real close. You know, I don't know. God, Jesus may be warming up the chariots. Could it be today? I don't know. Could it be 10 years from now? I don't know. But my, my faith says when he, when he comes, I'm going. Now, here's the thing. As, as a book, most books have a, a, a plot, right? Here's kind of the storyline. Here's the theme of the book. Well, the Bible has that too. But I'm going to give it to you in a way you, you may not expect. And that is this. The New Testament is a mirror image of the Old Testament. In it, it starts and ends in very much the same way. The Bible says in the beginning, God created the, what? The earth. He created earth and everything in it. And then he did what? Then he made Adam and Eve and put Adam and Eve in it. So in the beginning was Adam and Eve, God and man, getting along great, living together. Then the Bible says the devil came in, messed it all up, right? Then the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that, if you ever heard the story about the Tower of Babel, people thought they could get to God on their own. Then, so... Things are degrading. And then right in the middle of this, God says, listen, this isn't working. I need to fix this. And he sends Jesus. Then the Bible begins to turn around. Then Satan comes and tempts Jesus. Jesus does, does away with sin because he goes to the grave. He rises again and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He deals with sin. He deals with sickness. And the Bible says that all those who confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior now get to go back to where we started and it's you and me and God and eternity forever. That's the Old Testament. God showed up. We're with God. Satan showed up, messed it up, had to deal with it with Jesus. And the mirror image is God dealt with Satan and sin. He dealt with us by accepting Jesus. And eternity is ours, the Bible says. If you could just think of the Bible from end to end, it, it really starts and ends in the same idea of God wanting to be with his creation, God making a way for his creation 
to show up. Okay, here we go. So we got the plot. We're going to go through these fast. Um, ushers, you can do your thing. Team, y'all can get ready. Here we go. The, the object of the Bible is you and me. The Bible says that it was written for us. It was, the word was given to us so that we could know God. So that's the object of the Bible. And y'all need to know I stunk at English and breaking down books and sentences and, and literature. And, you know, Mabel is excellent at it, and she didn't get it from me. So I married two bookworms, and they, this, is, this is their forte, not mine. But the subject of the Bible is, is Jesus. So it's written to us, the subject of the Bible is Jesus. When you read the book, when you read the book, when you read the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, look for Jesus. As I just told you, if you read the, the book in the Old Testament of Isaiah, constantly in every chapter of the book, you'll find Jesus. Really, in every book of the Bible, you'll find Jesus. And most times, in almost every verse, you can find a line, at least a line, to Jesus. The Bible actually says in John 5, 39, Jesus Jesus saying, hey, you search the scriptures because you think they're what give you eternal life. But the scriptures, look at the capital S, the truth is they all just point to me. So is Jesus saying this. Everything points to me. The object is written for us, it's given to us, but the subject is Jesus. Now I'm going to tell you in a minute what the verb is, and most of you will make a good, good educated guess that you'd say, well, that's love. I'm going to beg to differ. The Bible says of God that he is love, but I think there may be a better answer for this. Look what the Bible says in John 3, 16. It says, for this is how God loved the world. He did what? He, it's highlighted behind me. He, he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish. And here's the ending. While that keeps cutting out. Here's the ending of the story. We start with God and man and we end with God and man in eternal life. But I'm going to tell you, I think the verb of the Bible is give. Because the Bible says of God he gave. The Bible says of Jesus that he gave. And then he even goes on to tell us. If you look at this in 1 John 3.16, it says we know what real love is because. How do we know? In other words, you know what it is because somebody demonstrated it for you. Somebody showed you how to do it. You don't have to guess. It says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to do what? It's right here. It's not a trick. So we ought to also give ours. This is why we, we teach people in our our, progress, our process of know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and then go make a difference. What is making a difference? Making a difference is simply put, uh, us giving what God gave us to somebody else. It may be the form of, in the form of your gifts and your abilities and your talents. It may be the form of your testimony and your story of, you don't know, listen, this is where I was. I was hooked on this. I was doing this. 
and I showed up at church and I started reading my Bible and this verse did this to my life and you're in the same place and your life is chaos and your life is just like mine, but the same verse that'll do it for me, you'll do it for you. That we give of our life. This is why knowing the Bible is not just something for you. You know, I was asked the other day, did I think, um, I was watching, sometimes I can be a political junkie and I, I will admit that. But I was asked the other day, did I ever think a cure for cancer would be found? And to the person who wasn't a believer, I said, well, I think we already know the cure. And they looked at me like, what? You know, is this, you know is, are they suppressing the information? And I said, no, I said, I, but if somebody comes to me and says, hey, I have this, I have this disease, I have this ailment, I have this illness, this dis-ease in my body, then my Bible tells me that by his stripes, I'm healed and whole. Now, I'm going to ask you this question. If somebody comes to you and asks you to help them with something and you know the answer, you're going to help them. But how many people have come to you and asked you for the answer and it's not that you don't want to help them. You just can't. Because you haven't, give, you haven't put and filled in you what the Bible says you should. That we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. And I'll close with this. This is what I think the Bible is all about. I think the Bible is all about us receiving what God gave us, receiving what Jesus gave us, and then giving it to other people. That is the Bible from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation end. End to end. It's God, what do I do? It's your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, the goodness of the goodness of God leads me. The goodness of God directs me. Once you bow your head and close your eyes. God, I thank you this morning. God, that we're not just doing a lesson to say, oh, look what I learned and I learned some knowledge. But God, we're getting to know you better because... You sent us your words so we could know you. We could recognize your voice. And God, for those in the room who may say, Clint, my life is chaos now. I need help. God, I thank you that you're here to help. That your word actually says that we're just one heartfelt, honest with you prayer away from having you bring order to our lives and bring the truth of your word into our lives. God, I thank you for that now. The Bible tells us that if you confess it with your mouth, you believe it in your heart, that what we read in the Bible is true. Jesus was the Son of God. He came for you. He died for you. He was raised to life and now sits at the right hand of the Father. The Bible doesn't say you have to understand it. The Bible just says you have to believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth. That it's simply a prayer of saying, God, forgive me, I messed up but I receive everything you have for me in your son, Jesus. And I'm going to start walking and do my best to follow you. I'm going to do my best to love it, to learn it, and to live it. And God, I thank you for that now. If that's you this morning, just real quick, and I'm going to bless you, and then we're going to sing one more song and get out of here.
I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. If you're online, you can just shoot us a note. But if that's you, say, hey, Clint, include me in that prayer. My life is chaos, but I, I need some order. I need Jesus. Maybe you've walked away from God, and maybe you need to return. And say, God, I've let my life become chaos because I'm not building it on the truth and the order of your word. Anybody else? All right, well, let's t- together let's pray this. Say, Lord Jesus, today I receive you, your son, his mercy, his grace, and his love. God, forgive me for messing up. I repent. God, today, I follow you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to sing one more time. I'm going to bless you, and then we're going to sing. God, I thank you in Jesus' name for my family. I thank you that today we held class. God, we got wisdom from you. It wasn't for me or anything I've done, but God, it's what you gave us. And you said, go learn it, go live it. And God, show people your love. And we thank you for it now, Father. In Jesus' name, we have your way. I bless our week and I bless our time.